Well, it's wonderful to have you here today and uh, to have this opportunity once again to in- hopefully inspire you through the Word of God. Uh, today, we're going to be sharing on Luke 15 um, the stories that Jesus tells, and the most famous one of those is called the story of the prodigal son. In fact, Jesus doesn't call him a prodigal. Um, he calls him the lost son. We're going to look at that today, and we're going to look at the three parables that Jesus tells in response to a question by the teachers of the law, by the Pharisees, by the religious people of the day. And we will see that Jesus didn't have much time for religion. Whenever we see Jesus getting angry, it was never at sinners. It was never at people like us, but it was people that had distorted the view of God through their lifestyle and what they did. And um, when people looked at the Pharisees, they, they looked at them in fear because they very seldom had anything good to say. And that's what religion without relationship with Jesus Christ does. It's a thing of works, and it makes us bitter and resentful, and we know that we cannot do it ourselves, so it's way easier looking at what others' mistakes are instead of saying, God, have mercy on us. And so this, um, these, these three stories he tells, or three par- parables, are in response to an accusation by these Pharisees. And he says this, the accusation is from them is that this man, Jesus, welcomes sinners, and he even eats with them. That's the accusation. That's what religion does. It drives people away. Relationship draws people in. And Jesus, in his amazing way, doesn't react like we do when we're pressed. He responds. And he tells them three stories, three parables. Jesus, the greatest storyteller that ever lived. If you look at his parables, they are stories, they are illustrations of things that happen. And then the first, the first parable is found in Luke chapter 15 from 3 to 7. And he says this in response. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Interesting there that he's the, this, these stories are responding to the bigotry of the Pharisees. He's telling them how much God loves us and sinners. Then the second story is in Luke 15, 8 to 10. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. 
And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. Sorry, I read the same sentence twice. In the same way, in the same way, I tell you there's rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. In both his answer, Jesus leaves no doubt of what he's trying to say. That the lost sheep and the lost coin represent us as sinners. Some here may not never have known Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, and God is working in our hearts. He's always drawing us closer to him. And some, maybe here in our families, have walked away from God. And he says that, so this is the lost coin, the lost sheep represents sinners. And that being found represents turning back to God. And the celebration is what all the angels are doing every time this happens. What Jesus is actually saying is, I am the shepherd seeking my lost sheep. I am the woman seeking the lost coin. In fact, I am the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. And no man comes to the Father except through me. And then in Luke 15, from verse 11 to 24, it's a longer passage, it's a story of the prodigal son, and that's where I want to focus. And I've asked my wife to read it because I, don't, I can get distracted on every single word and not get through the passage. So if my beautiful wife, Deborah, could come up here and read it, that would be great. Yes. Oh, pressure. <laughs> <laughs> um, my version is the ESV, so um, I don't. Would you yeah. prefer it in NIV? No, no, ESV will be up there. From verse eleven, and he said, "There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me.'" And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against you. I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was on his, still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, 
and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let's eat and celebrate. For my son was dead, and he is alive again. He was lost, and he is found. And they began to celebrate. Wonderful. Thank you. Father God, I thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you for your love for us, Lord. I thank you for sending your son, Jesus. And Jesus, I thank you for dying for us so that relationship with you could be restored. All of us were lost at one stage, but we have been found. All of us were spiritually dead, but we are alive in you, Lord. And I want to thank you for that today in Jesus' name. So the three stories in response to Jesus hanging out with sinners have this in common. Being lost, being found, and great joy in heaven. Verse 6, rejoice with me, for I found my lost sheep. Verse 9, rejoice with me, for I found my lost coin. Verse 24, for the son of mine was dead and is alive. He was lost and now found. And so they began to celebrate. A lost sheep found, a party. A lost coin found, another party. A lost son found a party. And you can imagine at the rate of people being saved around the world, the gospel is going forth in power. Yes, maybe not so much in the Western world, but in the nations and even in, in Middle Eastern nations and, and Asia and so on. We are hearing reports of thousands of people getting saved. And when I was thinking of that, I was thinking, well, he- heaven must just be one big party. If it happens every time somebody's getting saved, it's just one party. And I can't wait to join it one day, but not too soon. <laughs> but you see, there is a difference. Although there's similarities in the parables between the last parable and the other two. Because it shares the reason and the misery of the son's, son's lostness. Jesus explains it. He tells us why he was lost, how he, became to, how he came to his senses and repented, and how the Father responded. Luke 15, 13, it starts like this. Not long after he received his inheritance, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth on wild living. Many of us have walked that road. Maybe some of us still are. But God is calling us. You see, wild living and fun outside of God has a very short shelf life. We say we want to be free and we want to be wild. Well, it's like going to the bungee zone and saying, I don't want the bungee cord on my feet because I want to be free. I'm just going to jump anyway. Well, it's fun for a season. Then you hit the water. Or going skydiving without a parachute. They tell me it's only the last two inches that you have to worry about. But something's going to happen. So there is freedom within the context and the boundaries of God that he wants us to enjoy and enjoy. And outside of that, there's always this emptiness in our hearts and people's hearts. No matter how much 
They feel they're enjoying themselves. Because I've been there and I lived there. I got saved uh, at, a, at 24 years old. And before that, I could very much identify with this lost son. In verse 14 to 16, we see that his party is over. He spent all his bucks. And a famine comes. And he's dead broke. And the amazing thing is all of his so-called friends he thought he had, now that he has no money, abandon him. And the only job he can get is feeding pigs. Now, you've got to understand the context of how radical it is that Jesus is talking to Pharisees. And he's telling this guy he's feeding pigs. I mean, that's one of the, the big no-no's in the faith in the Hebrew faith, Jewish faith, Old Testament. And then in verse 17 to 18, Jesus tells that after hitting rock bottom, it's amazing, the NIV says, he came to his senses. And the process of repentance begins. And that's one of the prayers that I pray not only for us here, but for our friends and family who are not serving Jesus Christ, that they come to the senses, that they come to a place where they realize that it's way better back with their father than away from him. In verse 17 to 19, he says, When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set up and go back to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. The first process of repentance is acknowledging our sin. And I am no longer worthy to call your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He thought that he would never be accepted back as a son. Remember when he asked his father for his inheritance, when did you normally... Get your inheritance when the dad dies. So in a sense, he was wishing that his dad had died. But his father gave him his inheritance anyway. And when he comes to his senses, he goes home. And we see the difference in the response he expected to the response he got from his father. God loves you. God loves you so much that he gave his son to die for you. So that relationship broken by sin, living in a spiritual pigsty or a physical pigsty of life, so that that relationship broken by sin could be restored through Jesus Christ. And he says this, in verse 22-24, But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And many people that walk away from God Many people that don't know God feel the sense of unworthiness because of their actions. 
And you need to understand that you can never save yourself. It's all God. All we can do is come and repent. And when we do that, the Word of God says, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness. But His Father said this to His servants. Instead of, okay, boy, you can come back, but you're going to be in labor for the rest of your life. You're going to earn your salvation. You're going to earn your worthiness. He puts that all aside. And he says, quick, bring the robe, the best robe, and put it on him. And that, to me, is like the robe of righteousness that God puts us when we get saved. And he said, put a ring on his finger and sandal on his feet. A ring, to me, signifies sonship. And he restores this lost person. He restores the sinner. He restores the one that Jesus was hanging out with, that the Pharisees accused him of. And he says this, Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a party. For the son of mine was dead, spiritually dead, and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. You see, to many this seems too good to be true. And we live in condemnation for the rest of our lives. Many think they're too bad to come to God. And God can't love them. Well, no sin is too big for God to forgive. And many that are saved live with this condemnation of their past for their whole lives. And every time they want to step out with, for, for God, that voice says, but how can you do this? You did that, and you did that. I want you to know that when God forgives you, it's total. When God forgives us, He says He separates our sin as far as the east is from the west. And we're not talking east and west Canada. We're talking east and west universe. How big is that? They still don't know. And it says that he chooses to remember it no more. Not that he's got a bad memory. But in his sovereignty, he knows that it's under the blood of Jesus. It has been forgiven and it's gone. Because we need to understand, church, that there's no future in our past. There's no future in our past. And we will never fulfill the call of God. If, we, if the end, we allow the enemy to lie to us daily about our past. You see, the things that I've gone through and you've gone through, no matter how bar, uh, bad, are things that you then can help others come through the same situations. You can turn it around for good. You can turn your life around and say, yeah, you know, I, I got divorced, and, or I, got, I was an addict, or I was this, but God. But God. But God set me free. Not wanting to leave people in their sin, but wanting to get them set free by the power of the gospel from their sin. We don't condone sin because sin separates and sin kills. But what we do is we use our story our testimony, our story is the best thing we have. And hopefully at the end of the story, it wasn't so much of how bad we were, but 
It's so much more about the redemptive power of the Lord Jesus Christ. He saved me. He saved me. I was lost. I was eating pig food. I, I had no future. And God saved me and set me from my sin, past, present, and future. And He can do that with you. You see, we need to speak the truth of the gospel. Jesus spoke the truth. He told very clearly that these are what, things that will keep you from the kingdom of heaven. But not to condemn us, but to set us free. Because when Jesus sets us free, the Word of God says, we are free indeed. And He wants to bring freedom to the church. He wants to use you. You touch people like Jesus did in areas that I, I don't have access to. Now, if you're just coming out of an addiction or out of sin, it's foolish to go back into that to go and witness on your own or until you're strong in your, stronger in your faith. And Jesus, we see, had a strategy. He, he sent them out two by two. Two by two. Why was that? So that there was an accountability to one another. And so that we could overcome the wiles of the enemy. But we shouldn't be afraid to use our story, to use our life, to help other people come through. Because that is, our story is his story. It's a story of redemption. You see, to many, the gospel seems too good to be true. And many live in condemnation. So I want to ask you a few questions. And the first one is, what do you hear when the Father says to you, once you were dead, but now you're alive? You were lost, but now you have been found. Do you hear the unconditional love of a perfect father is no longer angry with you and who has forgiven you? In fact, who was never angry with you and who has forgiven you? Do you hear that? Martin Luther, before his revelation of justification by faith and before the revelation that he he found out after playing penance and going through all that stuff that he could not save himself. And the Protestant whole Protestant church that we are a part of was born out of this, that we are justified by faith. In other words, we're not justified by what we do, we're justified by what we believe. And the faith is in Jesus Christ. But before that, as he is seeking to serve God in his own strength, he, he said this, If I could believe that God was no longer angry with me, I would stand on my head for joy. And later on, God gave him that revelation. Do you believe that you are the apple of God's eye? That before you ever saw or knew him, he sees and knows you by name. Verse 20, while he was still a long way off, the Father saw him. He's always seeking. He's always looking. He's always over your life. He's always drawing us back. He's always there. He never leaves us for so. Even when we wander away, even when we're going to walk about, he's there. And his heart is never 
Never condemnation. His heart is always compassion. Compassion, come back. Come back, my child. Come back, my child. I need you, not only for what you can do for me, but because I love you. I love you. You see, do we truly believe that he has compassion? Do you believe that God is proud of you and wants to celebrate you? It's amazing. You see, this is the amazing grace. This is the amazing grace. We see that in verse 22 to 24. The father said to his servant, his son's come, God, uh, uh, Father, I wanted you dead. I wanted my inheritance. I blew it. I've done everything wrong, expecting to be put into some kind of penance or slave labor for the rest of his life. And the father celebrates him. The father said, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it and let's have a feast. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He is lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. So this is what Luke 15 is about. It actually goes on at the end of that. You can read it. Go and read Luke 15. At the end of the gospel, uh, at the end of the chapter, he talks about the older brother who refused to accept his brother back, who refused to come and celebrate his brother, who was telling his father how much he had done. Actually, his heart was the same as the lost son in the beginning. He was doing all of it because he also wanted his inheritance. He also wanted it. But like, unlike the lost son, he's given an opportunity, and this is the religious spirit that is sometimes in the church when people come back or when people uh, um, give their hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, wow, I've been here all this time, and look how God is making a fuss of this person. You see, the oldest son refused to enter in, and it ends like that. And the point of that whole three, those whole three stories is that, that the Pharisees were the older brothers. And I don't want to preach on that because I want to focus on this. You see, Luke 15 is about this, the love of God coming into the world through Jesus Christ to redeem his lost sons and daughters. Jesus, the friend of sinners. It's about the absolute value that God places on every person, no matter where they are or what they have done, and his desire is to save all. God so loved the world, it says, that whomsoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life, or everlasting life, John 3:16. But those who reject him, it says, but whoever does not believe, the judgment of God is upon them. So Jesus makes a way for everybody to respond to the gospel some way or other. And it's up to us, and it's a journey. Some are, it's, it's a one-day journey to me. Unfortunately for me, 
it was a, a bit of a longer journey. Why well, I kept, kept on digging that hole. But at the, at the bottom, God loves you unconditionally. No matter where you are, what you've done, He loves you and wants to save you. It's about the mission of Jesus to the world then and now. And this is the key. It's about our role as Christians. to help bring in the lost. And in Matthew 25, Jesus is talking about the end of the age. And if I could have that uh, 31 to 40. This is Jesus talking. He says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels are with Him, He'll sit on His glorious throne. And all the nations will gather before him, and he will separate one from another as a, as a shepherd separates sheep from, God, from goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on the right, Come, you are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And then he commends him things. For amazing things. Jeez, you were a good orator or a good preacher. You were a great worship leader. You guys were awesome um, parishioners. I think God just expects that anyway. That we would be faithful to the call and what God has called us to do. And that we walk in humility because everything comes from Him. But this is what... He commends us for, because we will be part of that assembly, God willing. If I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat, I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink, I was a stranger, and you invited me in, I needed clothes, and you clothed me, I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and he came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or feed you? Or thirsty or give you something to drink? And he says, when you did it to a stranger, or some of the translate, to the least of these, and, uh, and invite you in, or needing clothes, and clothe you. And he says this. Whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. And church, this is the crux. The enemy has lulled us in a way or intimidated us in a way to think that if I can't preach or teach or share the gospel like Billy Graham or somebody else, then I can't do this. And we make this, this big thing. He never pre talks about how well you pre preached or taught, and we need to do that. He talked about how we loved the lost. And he says we're to go in his name. We don't go with the social gospel. 
because we can feed people without telling them the truth, and that is doing them no good. But we go with the gospel, with the love of God in our hearts. We serve people around us with as much as a cup of water, a minor, an old lady's um, lawn, a visit in an old age home, a visit to hospital, get involved in the community. Say, God, how can I share the gospel of Jesus Christ? You see, we need to share the gospel, but we need to create a platform through our lifestyle that, create, that opens people's hearts to receive. Not like the older brothers basically saying, well, thank God I'm saved. It's saying, God, how? What have I got? What do I have in my hands? Is it a cake? Is it a talent that I could share? And through that, start sharing the Gospels. God, tell me what to say, when to say it, Lord God. I don't want to be ashamed of the Gospel. I don't want to be ashamed of Jesus Christ. And the thing that with the name, you can speak about God as much as you want. You mention Jesus, and you get a reaction. Two reasons, I believe, because Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he does separate light from dark. But the other reason is we often, unfortunately, have misrepresented him, the church. And so you get together with people, and yeah, they go back to the crusades, and they go back to all of this, what the church has done. And all I can say, listen, that's wrong. But two wrongs don't make a right. We had to change that. How can we serve you? How can we love you? How can we let them know that first? And they say, man, what is it about you? I say, I'll tell you what it is. I was lost, hopeless, and Jesus saved me. Well, tell me about it. I don't know much more than that, but I know somebody who does. Ring them. Find somebody. They can do that for you. Just share the love of Jesus. Can you imagine being commended for a cup of water? How more basic is the gospel? How more basic is that need? We had a group, Paul, in the, um, who's Katie's husband now. He, was a, he got saved in this church at about 18. Wild and woolly guy. And um, I encourage the young guys of the day, say, guys, listen, why don't we, we start doing random acts of kindness? Just random acts of kindness. Intentional, because we judge our, intentionally doing it. Because often we judge ourselves by intentions and others by their actions. So because I had the thought that I was going to help out somebody, I feel good just by having the thought, even I, if I don't do it. Ah, oh, that was great, man. You know, yeah, same for Joe. I feel so good today. Hey, Joe, how you doing? Life sucks, man. Yeah, but I thought I'd come and help you, but, you know, God loves you. <laughs> so Paul and them, it was winter, they were asking what to do, and uh, it was a bad winter, and um, the, uh, lots of driveways were full of snow. I said, why don't you go and find a few homes where people haven't shoveled the snow? You're more than likely finding it's old people that can't do it anyway. 
And if a young guy walks out, give him the shovel and move on. But they did this. I can't tell you the response. I can't tell you the response. One of the guys in our church is no longer with us. Lived, lived uh, in an area, and next to them is Joel, if you know Joel. Two houses down was a house that maybe hadn't been painted for 40 years. Their home group got the paint, asked them if they could paint the, the house. The guys obviously said no. Joke. Painted this house. That story, these people told all the neighbors. And they asked him why they did it. Because we wanted to bless you. God loves you. Painted their little house. Took them a few days. Ten guys. Just was from this. Cleaned the yard. It is so easy to be salt and light, church. Jesus said we're to be his hands, his feet, and we to be his mouth to the world. And we're used to this, we're used to this, but not much of this. And I tell you, church, if we as a community can get this, just us, 120 in our upper room, change the world. Why not Nanaimo? Why not? Why not? Why should Nanaimo not be known for a place where the love of God is manifest through the church of the city, in little deeds, in a coffee, on the streets. You see, Corinthians 5.20, and it ties up to the series we're doing on Christ's ambassadors. There's a few sermons on there. If we could just put it under one heading, you can listen to the last ones. It says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though Christ were making his appeal through us. Wow. We represent Christ. And it's through us that he wants the world to know of his love, his mercy, and his grace. We implore you, Paul says, on Christ we are, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, church, there are too many lost and lonely people in the world. But absolute lostness would be dying without Jesus Christ for all eternity. That's lostness. And we have a message. And we stick to our message. And we don't water our message. But we do it in a way that if people reject it, it's not because we've judged them. In this world today, you can say anything about anybody's life and you're judging them. It's just the way it is. But by our actions, they need to know that we don't, that we love them, that we care for them. And we don't want them to live eternity without Jesus Christ. Therefore, we go. And one waters, and one one sows the seed, one waters, and God makes it grow. And this is the Father heart of God. It's very similar to the cry of God to Isaiah when he has that revelation. He sees the Lord high and lifted up in the throne room, Isaiah. 
And this is the heart of God. Romans 10, 14 and 15. How can, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching or telling them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. If you're going to have the worship team up, you just stay in this attitude of um, worship and please don't be distracted by the team. That's what I'm trying to say. But I want to tell you that if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I spent the last 34 years of my life on an adventure with God that has taken me to some of the uttermost parts of the world, some of the most dangerous parts of the world. God has taken me on adventures that I could never, ever have dreamed of. I was born in Zimbabwe, one of the poorest countries with a population total of three to 500,000. And I preached in Washington, D.C., in Chicago, in Los Angeles. I'm not trying to impress you, but when I go there and I say, God, how is this possible that a little white African, you'd open doors like this? And I can only tell you I haven't done it perfectly, but it's always say, God, I want to to the best of my ability, represent you well. I want to tell people the truth of the gospel. I don't want to water it down. I want them to know the consequences. But I want them to know more and more than that, that they are loved, cared, and forgiven. And I want to tell you, if the gospel or what you've got to say, the truth you've got to say to somebody's life is put on a relational bridge of 100 pounds, and you come with your one-ton sledgehammer, it's just going to go, and we wonder. But if we build those bridges, we build those bridges to the place we can speak the truth and tell them of this God that loves them and tell them of the, the destiny they can have in Christ and warn them of the consequences out of a place of love and compassion. You see, Jesus never walked it down the gospel. He never ever did. And people ran to him. He was the friend of sinners. But he hated so much, sin so much that he was prepared to die on a cross to set us free. He wasn't condoning sin. He was drawing people into a relationship and if we can do that, church, over the summer, if you've got something that you like doing, fishing, golfing, sun tanning, whatever it is, take a friend with you that doesn't know Jesus. Alpha, if you know somebody and you don't know what to say, bring them to Alpha. Please, we don't want to fill Alpha up with Christians. But we want Christians to bring people that want to know the gospel. 
Use the gifts you have. Do an act of kindness. Just one this week. And one the next week. And one the next week. And allow the love of God to permeate you. If you like sport, volleyball, whatever it is, let's not be a Christian club where we invite all the Christian people because we're afraid that some of the others might make a mess. The house should be a mess. The house should be a mess if we are reaching out to the right people and we point them to Jesus Christ. He said, the gospel is the power of God. You were once dead, but now you're alive, son. You're alive. Let's see people get set free. Just this group, church, playing our part, using our little gifts that we have, we can change the city. If Oceanside ever closed, this is one of my biggest fears because we love this church. Not that it closes because God will keep it, but would the city even notice the difference? And the church isn't a gymnasium. The church is the people. The church is you and I. If we were no longer here, would, would they even say, wow, place has changed for the worse? Or if at the end of this year, they could say, man, this city's in a better place. We're volunteering to help at food banks. We're volunteering not just to give out food, but to share the love of Jesus. We're saying, God, we, we're visiting people in hospital, in jails. They say, man, that's a, that's a people worthwhile getting to know. Not just a bunch of people that are wanting a tax break from the city. Because that's what the city looks at. Because every church, for their properties, don't pay taxes. And I know I've dealt with the city, and when they're brutally honest, they're saying it's a pain. So we don't give church, we don't want to give more land to the church because we don't get the taxes. Imagine if they say, man, let's give them more land. They do so much. The city's changing. Let's give them more. They can have the conference center. Because it's worth having them here. Let's be that kind of people. But let's not compromise on the truth, church. That we are not doing people favors when we do that. Let's serve Jesus Christ as Lord of all. Let's stay true to his unchanging word. That is not culturally relevant and it never has been from day one. But it's often used as a hammer instead of a vehicle of God's love. Let's turn that around. Amen? Can we bow our heads? If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I, I ask you to seriously consider, not because I've said so, 
I'm not wanting you to make an emotional decision. And I'm prepared to sit with you and go through whatever you need to know. Or friends, and if you ask your friends and they're not sure, they can point you to one of us. It would be a privilege to sit with you. But if you do know Jesus, and you come into church acting present but not present, and I've been through that, I've got all of these t-shirts. In other words, you've been wandering away from the first love, wandering away from the faith. It's become a religious ritual instead of a relationship with the living God. I'm asking you where you are today, not because of, but I'm asking you, if you'll simply repent, Father, I'm sorry. He doesn't want to beat you up. He wants to restore you. So Holy Spirit, I ask you to come and fill this place. I pray that you pour out your love upon every single person here. I know you loved us, and you always do. And Lord, whatever adjustments we need to make, Lord, in our lives, I pray by your grace you'll give us the strength to do so. Lord, if I've become an older brother in any way, Lord God, I ask you for forgiveness. If I've walked away from you or wandered from you in any way, even in my heart, I ask you for forgiveness, Lord God. And I pray you to pour out your grace upon me and upon each one here, Lord, that we will return to our first love, the days where we couldn't but help or want to share about our Jesus Christ. Heal the, heal the wounds, Lord, where the church has beaten people down. Heal those wounds, I pray. Where the world has beaten people down, heal those wounds. And Lord, may we step in, in this world that is hurting, Lord God, in this world that needs a people who will love them. And Lord, we lift up our brothers and sisters in France. I can't imagine the pain and the hurt. But I pray, Lord, that your laborers will be giving out cups of water, will be visiting in hospitals, will be sharing the love of God with them, Lord, that will come in the opposite spirit, Lord, we ask you, Lord God, for the churches in France and in Canada to, to arise, Lord, and to take our rightful place as your body, as servants of the Most High God. And that the world will see a difference, not because we have or haven't got good buildings or because we wear a cross around our neck, but because they see the love of God in and through us. So fill us afresh today, I pray, in the precious name.
name of Jesus.